Hey guys, welcome back to Stir the Pot. This is episode number nine, and my guest this week is food writer Catherine Phipps. We talk all about her starting food in the Caribbean, her new book Citrus, and her experiences ghostwriting. It's a really interesting episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for the response to our first episode back this year, last week. It was really, really wonderful. Thank you for all the tweets. Um, Keep them coming. It really helps the podcast get listened to by more people. And if you fancy leaving a review on iTunes, that would make me forever very, very thankful. If you want to follow me on social media, I am The Boy Who Bakes on everything. My website is theboywhobakes.co.uk where you can find lots of lovely recipes and more information about each and every podcast. That's enough from me. Let's get on with today's episode. So, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for bringing me uh, alcohol, because that's always welcome. Um, So what was it that you brought me? I brought you some of my bergamot lemoncello or bergamot limoncello. I don't know. I always say lemoncello, but I'm from the north and I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. I I am so rubbish about any kind of pronunciation (laughs) at all. So, yeah, bergamot limoncello. I have to say, I'm currently obsessed with bergamot. Um, I've been using it in all sorts of different recipes and gin was one of the things I mm. wanted to infuse it into. Um, and the smell of that lemoncello that you've brought over is so delicious. It's wonderful, isn't yeah. it? And it was only infusing overnight. Yeah, we were talking about this before. Yeah. I'm amazed because I've made um, infused alcohols before, like mm. slow gin, and I have a, a bottle of um, Portuguese ginia, the sour cherry brandy stuff. And I've been infusing that for a year almost. Um and so the idea that you can infuse it in 12 hours and it has that much flavour was amazing to me. I think it must depend on the quality of the fruit. Because sure. these are incredible fruit, unwaxed, yeah. Yeah. straight from Italy. And I was really surprised because the recipe in my book actually says infuse for a few days. <laughs> because what I was always told was that when the um, peel is white, that mm. means all the essential oils have come out and gone into the vodka. Yeah. And then you can get rid of the peel and you've got the vodka to mix with the sugar syrup. Yeah, but yeah. then I was reading that um, some people just do it overnight and I tried it and I could not believe. I yeah. mean, the colour, it's so bright. Oh, it's so I mean, it's, kind of um, arti- almost artificial. Yeah, looking. it looks almost fluorescent, doesn't it? It's just it incredible. So, yeah, from now on, I'm doing it overnight. <laughs> well, I do think um, that may be turned into a cocktail tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it'll make a really beautiful cocktail because it is a really pretty colour. It is. And, and so might have to go buy some bergamot to garnish it with. Yeah, and also... I always make loads before Christmas because the yeah. bergamots come in from about October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good for Christmas presents. Yeah. And I, um, bergamot and Prosecco, as simple as that, yeah. all Christmas long, that is my drink. <laughs> well, to me, the thing about bergamot compared to, say, other citrus, and we'll talk about this later uh, mm. because obviously um, your new book is citrus. Mm. Um, but the thing about bergamot to me is it has so much kind of floral flavour. It's not yes. just... You know, as much as I adore lemon, it's not just a lemon. Yeah. It's got so much more depth and layers to it. It has. Um, it is so... It's almost indescribable. I put it in a cake recently, and nobody knew what it was, because I wanted to see what their opinion was, but mm. the reaction to it was kind of a lot of intrigue. 
because mm. they'd never had it before. And I think it's just a really magical flavour. I do. I mean, I, I spent quite a long time thinking about how to describe the flavours and aromas mm. of different citrus because, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. well, there's, a, certain it's vocab- interesting. Yeah, there's yeah. a certain vocabulary that people use. Um, and I'm not one of these people that like flinging adjectives and adverbs and uh, analogies into my work. I just try and keep it as clean as possible. Yeah. So it's quite interesting trying to do that. And and what I kind of came up with is that a lemon has got a very kind of light floral scent. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, almost... You know, if you think of a kind of really fresh summer mm. scent that's, you know, it, it it disappears in an instant almost. I was um, listening to, um, oh, who was it? There was someone talking about, I think it might have been Diana Henry. It was about mm. the word clean. Yes. And it's how she said you can't really use the word clean as an adjective in food anymore because it has that connotation no, of but, clean eating. But you know but what I think it lemon means, is that a slightly clean smell, that kind clear, of yeah. eau de cologne, clean, yeah. fresh, um, you know. But bergamot is so much deeper than yeah. that. And almost it's, it's, dusty at times Yeah, as well. it's almost like, you know, it's the kind of tuba rose of, yes. the, of, of the citrus yeah. world because it's there's so much mm. there. It's 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 on a par with lavender yeah. in terms of that kind of really... It actually and reminds it me a little woody. bit of lavender, yeah. yeah. It has similar kind of... There's a certain note in it that reminds me of something very similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's something that I find very, very hard to describe, but I will very much enjoy drinking it tonight <laughs> good and, and it is it is so i mean i i love the scent of it and it's yeah. just one of those things you you inhale that scent and you immediately start feeling yeah. better it's, oh, definitely. it's such a i think citrus does that to me all the time yeah it's a very invigorating uh kind of um flavor and mm. i think obviously it's why it's been used for medication in the past it's been seen as a you know and it's great Cheerful. this time of year. Bring yeah. the sunshine back into the kitchen. Oh, it makes me incredibly happy every January mm. when... I mean, I've always been one of those um, blood uh, blood orange kind of fiends. Mm. Every January, go down to my greengrocers. I have a really good one just down the road. And I just arm full yes. of blood oranges. It makes me very happy in a period of the year that is normally quite... It's, it's my quietest part of the year, but it's also miserable and it's yes. tax season and it helps just kind of bring a bit of light into the kitchen. No, I've, I feel exactly the same about them. Um, for me, blood oranges, but also the mandarins yes. and the proper ones. Yeah. I mean, because there's so many different types yeah. of, you know, people tend to now lump clementines, mandarins, <laughs> yeah. satsumas. As an easy um, peeler. Yeah, or, easy yeah. peeler. And they're all, they all seem the same to me now. Yeah. Um, when you get them in the supermarket, the shiny, beautifully waxed yeah. ones, but they all taste the same. Yeah. They're all very sweet. They've all been bred for sweetness. Mm. But if you find the proper mandarins that have got, again, they've got a very complex yeah. floral flavour and they're slightly tarter, yeah. but you can use the zest in them in nice. a way you can't use clementine zest because <laughs> yeah. that's very bitter. Yeah, very it's bitter. weird thing about citrus I discovered, actually, that... Um, when they're very sweet, the zest often seems very bitter. bitter hmm. But the sourer ones, like lemons and limes, for example, yeah, that's true. Actually, you use the zest, and and it doesn't have that no. immediate bitter hit. So you can use them much more hmm. in savoury things. I wonder why that is. I don't know. Maybe it's because all the sweetness has been pulled into the fruit that's sweeter, leaving behind more bitterness. Hmm. Whereas the bitter fruit, the sweetness hasn't quite made it into the fruit yet. I have no Possibly. idea. 
Anyway, before we talk about citrus properly, mm. we're going to bring it back and ask the same question we always ask, which is, um, how did food become such a big part of your life? Because I'm now going to expand on the question because you uh, had an interesting... I find your start in food as a career fascinating because mm. you had a career in law. Well, no, or... not quite, but yes. <laughs> I was supposed to have a career supposed in law. Supposed to have a career in law. And then somehow you ended up in the Caribbean running yes. a restaurant. Yes. Like, that's quite uh, a difference. Yes. Um, so how did it all get started? <laughs> it's it's kind of... It's weirdly convoluted and... Um, Yes. So, always interested in food, mm-hmm. really, um, in a quite a polarised way, actually, because um, of my upbringing mm. was, on the one hand, there was my mother, who we lived on a small holding, and she was that typical 1970s mother who did everything to the nth degree. What was the sitcom? So, the Good Wife, <laughs> yeah, but this That's is, all I kept thinking of the good wife. that yeah. to... Um, rural Lincolnshire, sure. North Lincolnshire, a couple of acres of land. You know, I can picture my dad pulling a goat along. <laughs> and um, and we had everything. You know, we had a couple of calves, we had pigs, yeah. goats, everything. Um, and she even used to buy um, fleeces and card her own wow. fleece. And I had those kind of grey mushroom coloured <laughs> jumpers and things that she knitted. And But... Whilst this was going on, she was teaching me about food because we made hmm. all our own bread, sure. all our own preserves. You know, a carcass would come back from the abattoir and she'd haul wow. me and my brother into the kitchen and she'd show us what a heart looked like and wow. how it worked. No squeamishness around food in your house. No, then. absolutely none at all. So, and she's an amazing cook. Mm. So I grew up with all of that on the one side, but she was very strict about sugar and sweets sure. and all of that kind of thing. My grandmother, my paternal grandmother, on mm. the other hand, was the absolute opposite. <laughs> um, and she was everything out of a packet. Really? So, yeah. And, and in fact, when I think about my early experiences of citrus, mum doing Seville oranges and lemons <laughs> and amazing things with those. Yeah. And my grandmother, it was round cheese lime jelly with evaporated milk on and that kind of stuff which I also <laughs> love tinned mandarins uh, yeah, in I trifle I, you know we never so, had in trifle because my mum was a trifle purist um, but I definitely remember going to a friend's house and having tinned fruit mm, cocktail and loving it yeah still have a slight soft spot for it yeah I don't like it now oh no it's gross but it's there's something horrible, kind of uh, back nostalgic in the day, about it the cherry <laughs> that cherry in the in the cocktail yeah. which anyway, didn't taste like cherry and no. didn't quite taste like a glacé cherry and it wasn't it just didn't even taste peculiar. like a maraschino cherry no, it didn't did taste it like anything, very strange really. um but yeah anyway so always loved food was always the one who cooked at university um when everyone else was on their packet bean feasts <laughs> yeah. and did you cook you for know. other people then yes i yeah. did not much no, but no. you know um and i remember teaching quite a few people how to cook this is how you boil water yeah yeah and then i went from being extremely broke and living on french onion soup because onions <laughs> were so cheap and and maybe if i was feeling really flush buying a chicken and getting yeah, i don't yeah. know how many meals out of that to suddenly being a bit more solvent and then marrying someone who was much better off and then having to really up my game because I was doing (laughs) lots and lots of... I went from kind of first principles still, but student food, to kind of 
corporate entertaining dinner parties, which was just... <laughs> yeah, you can't just serve you know, French onion soup over and over again like that. No. <laughs> and then a few years later, um, I'll skip over the law bit because it's not very interesting, <laughs> oh, no, but, but, but that all fine. died a death. I ended up living in Norfolk, going pretty much back to my roots. Yeah. We didn't have animals, livestock at this stage, but, you know, four acres, big fruit cage, huge mm. orchard with about 50 trees in it. Um and lots so lots of things to play with there. Mm. And of course Norfolk's incredible for produce yeah, anyway. Um, but then yeah, we took a holiday to the Caribbean and this sounds dreadful. <laughs> um, my marriage was kind of sure on its last legs, I'm being very honest here, and I was pretty bored and trying to get away from it all. And one of the things that I discovered when I was there was that people love talking about food mm. and a way to get to know people and get an in to people was to talk about food. So I used to talk to people in the market and talk to people in the bars and the restaurants and actually ended up with a kind of little circle of people I could go and chat to and nice. have a drink with. And, and this is just whilst you were on holiday. Yeah, and initially. Um, and... I kept notebooks of mm. that time. I kept a day-to-day -day diary... Um, of everything I ate and everything I bought and everything I tried to cook because we'd be in a kind of self-catering sure. thing for part of the time. Um, and then one day we were staying in this lovely little place in Dominica mm -hmm. and the owner knew that I loved cooking and knew I was a pretty good cook but only because I told him that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he thought he knew I was a pretty good cook and he got really badly let down and he said, do you want to come into the kitchen and help me out? So I did. What, just for a night or? Yeah, well, yeah. And then the, the night led to the rest of that holiday and we were going to be there for, <laughs> we were going to be there for a month and we'd got... Um, you got a, a job. <laughs> yeah, we got a self-catering place the other side of the island and I was just driving back and forth the whole time cooking wow. and it was amazing. So I went back for the next couple of winters wow. after that. Um, and then I came back to London um, or to Norfolk and moved back to London because um, of my husband sure. partner um, and thought I really need to get into food how do, how do I get into food mm. and somebody suggested that I start writing below the line on the Guardian word of mouth <laughs> And that I did. How you started? That is how I started. Wow. And Susan Smilly and Tim Hayward, I will be forever grateful to, wow. picked me up. And by the end of the year, I was writing on word of mouth. And then <laughs> things just followed from there. I've been incredibly lucky. Wow. Well, really these lucky. Days, no one even read the comments down below. Not a good idea. No, it's not because they're so. I mean, they were always a bit yeah, like yeah, that course, anyway. Yeah. But. Um, much more so now, I think. I don't think I know anybody who got their start in a career by writing comments. Were you criticising or were you... <laughs> um, was I criticising? I was trying to be informative. Sure. And then I think Tim picked up one of my recipes mm. for a Guardian video he was doing. Mm. Um, and that was it, pretty much. Wow. I mean, I think I know other people who around that time because mm. there was a lot of people kind of coming on and writing for word of mouth at yeah, that because this was about 2009 and yeah. it was when there were loads and loads of bloggers yeah, yeah, yeah. and I didn't even know what blogging was at that time <laughs> I, I didn't have a blog I've never had a blog um you know, I had a very private live journal yeah. that I had you know a few friends live used journal. to follow I know <laughs> I know 
But I used to talk about food on yeah, there a yeah. lot too. Sure. Um, but um, people always end up talking about food. I um, think it's a universal. Yeah. I think um, I, I was talking about um, family recipes the other day. And I think everyone has a connection to food somehow. Yeah. Even if it's that their connection to food is that they have a bad connection to food or mm. they don't like things or they had terrible food growing up. Mm. It is a universal because we all have to eat. And I think um, most people, not everybody, most people, because you have to eat, end up liking food to some degree. Yes. And so you can easily have a conversation with anyone in the world about food. Yes. And I think that's such a joyous thing about it. It is. Mm. So... Um, what did you start writing when you were at The Guardian? What sort of things were you doing? I was writing about books initially. Oh, you were doing book Co- reviews? Collect- well, I think that my first couple of pieces were on collecting books, mm. collecting cookery books, because I've always been an avid cookbook reader and collector. How many have you got? <laughs> Not as many as I did have, because I'm trying to be much more ruthless yeah, about getting rid of them, but probably close to 2,000. Whoa! <laughs> I thought you were going to say 200 ago. Why? I've got more than that. (laughs) 2,000. Roughly, yeah. And are those uh, a lot of very old ones? Yeah, yeah. that includes a lot of food writing as well. And it Mm. also includes... Not just cookbooks um, then? No, cookbooks, food writing. But also it probably includes all those kind of self-published not pamphlets they're bigger than that but you know whenever I'm travelling anywhere the Caribbean's great for this there's always some kind of women's group or a church or whatever and they've done their and some of them are quite big and they're for charity nice and I've learnt quite a lot from those over the years they're fun well I think it's always interesting to read cooking from a different perspective Mm. and you know I think a food writer has a very specific viewpoint maybe and you know getting out of that and seeing how people actually cook day to day is always a useful thing. Um, someone I know, a food photographer, has this little project where uh, whenever he goes to a charity shop or wherever, or a jumble sale mm. or a flea market, he tries to find like discarded handwritten recipes. Yes. And he has this idea in his head, which I think is incredible, of uh, turning it somehow into a book. I think that's a like great idea. Recipes. I love it when I find handwritten oh. recipes in a yeah. book. There's just something really magical. And mm. the idea of trying it and then going... Okay, that did work. Or what were they? Mm. You know, I think there's a really interesting inherent yeah. story that you want to go and find. It's a step up from, and this is something I still do, and I end up throwing them away after a while. But um, discarded shopping lists at the supermarket. <laughs> I think someone has done a book of that, and it's just a picture book, mm. but it's of handwritten shopping lists they found around supermarkets. Mm. Um, but it's definitely a window into someone's life it because is. what they eat is obviously a window into their house and their livelihood. So It's fascinating. I am always the one who's peering into whatever, <laughs> obviously very disapproving a lot of the time. But... <laughs> so, oh, I wouldn't be buying that. No. Are you really going to feed your children that? <laughs> well, that was another question I had really is um, obviously you have a career where you write about food Mm. and obviously that might be slightly different to how people cook day to day Mm. and obviously you're a mum does your cooking that you do for uh, your son differ to what you do for work or is he quite an adventurous eater or I'm very lucky with him because he will try everything Mm. he won't always like it but we have a rule in our house Um, and this came into being because of my stepdaughter Lily Mm. who 
when I first started looking after her, ate barely nothing. She was very fearful about food. She liked bland, sugary carbs, and that was pretty much <laughs> My it. My friends like that still. You know, well, yeah, so do I. Um, barely any vegetables. Mm. Um, and actually, I'd just started weaning Adam, so he was just over six months old, and Lily would have been about three. And he, Adam was just eating the food we were eating. Yeah, yeah, Um and I was always cooking separate stuff for Lily because she was, you know, she's the fish finger queen, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Adam was eating prawns with pasta <laughs> and he was, you know, little podgy hands shoving them in his mouth. <laughs> and I said, Lily, I'm, I'm, we're going to have to stop this separate meal business. You're going to have to start eating the same food as the rest of us. Yeah. And I want you to try a prawn. And she screamed and screamed oh. and screamed and cried and cried. And in the end, I said, Lily, why? What makes you so scared about trying this and mm. she didn't know how to articulate it but she did say what does it taste like Aww. what does it taste like i said okay well your favorite food is fish fingers and prawns taste a little bit like fish fingers but they're sweeter and they're much nicer so and they're pink also because they're pink yeah. that helped a little bit <laughs> although she hates pink now okay. she's really went against the pink yeah, yeah. i was quite proud of that anyway so she tried a prawn and her face lit up and it was a real kind of road to Damascus yeah, yeah, the yeah. light switches came on Revelation and, kind of. and it's oh, I love them Aww. so after that we had the rule that every time there's something on the table they think they don't like they have to try it yeah. and if they honestly say they don't like it I will not force them to eat it but they have to eat everything else and the next time we have that they have to try it again yeah. And that means that they still struggle with the odd bitter flavour, but, yeah. you know. Now, I mean, having said that, when I am doing, testing 100 Peruvian recipes, <laughs> which is what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I can't um, believe you've reached the podcast when your deadline's this week. <laughs> I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Um, you know, some of those are not to their taste. Sure, of course. So, you know, I end up having the same kind of panic in the evening like everything else, thinking, Christ, what am I going to give them for yeah, dinner yeah, tonight? Because yeah, yeah. I know they're not going to want to eat this. <laughs> yeah. Although Adam will always try. Yeah. Um, so, no, you end up having the same kind of difficulties as no. anyone else, really. I think your rule on trying is... is brilliant and it's definitely kind of what I grew up with mm. um it wasn't as explicit as that but my parents were definitely of the of the idea that you can't say you don't like something yeah. until you've tried it yeah and I as a kid was definitely the same kind of kid as Adam mm. I would try anything I got freaked out by certain things I remember when I was maybe seven I was in France and I ordered what said on the menu fish and chips and it was but mm. it was a you know unbattered full fish with head and eyes oh, and yeah. everything and seeing the eye as a kid freaked me out a little bit to the point where fish became uh, a slight stumbling block for me mm. that I've, I'm fine with now but you know even in quite recent history I wasn't a big fish fan um, and I think it stems from things like that but I think the willingness to try is all you can ask for. I think so too. I mean, mine, you know, sometimes they love things that you don't expect them to do. And what sort some of things? Oh, blimey. Um, <laughs> well, for example, they... The other day I roasted a whole rabbit. Again, oh, it, was, it. it was... No, they loved it. Oh, they did, it. sorry, yeah. They loved it. Um, 
And the only reason I didn't expect them to like rabbit was because oh, fluffy bunny yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, and I told like... them it was a rabbit. And I don't. I think Sharik, my other half, might not have told them it was a rabbit. <laughs> but um, no, they loved it. They nice. couldn't believe how good it was. I mean, it was very good. It's one of the Peruvian recipes <laughs> I was testing, actually. I mean, the idea of Peruvian but, rabbit um, sounds awesome. Well, I think it would normally have been done with guinea pig. Okay. I've, I've never had guinea pig. I'd be willing to try it. No, I haven't. They're very difficult to get hold of. Oh, I would imagine. It's not something we um, eat regularly. No. No, I remember one of my teachers when I was a kid, he told us about eating hedgehog. He yeah. Was in, I think he was in Africa somewhere, and they covered the hedgehog in clay. Yes. And baked it so that yes. when you took the clay off, all the um, uh, spikes yeah. went with it. Um, and he loved it. He did say the cliche thing, it tastes like chicken. Um, I'm sure... My parents saw that done. There used to be some really old-fashioned hmm. gypsy caravan travellers where I grew up. Yeah. Um, and the same ones used to come by every year. Hmm. You know, typical lovely horse yeah, yeah, yeah. and And they used to cook food like that. It's hmm. kind of typical roadside food, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. It's kind of, um, you know, food of what you can get. Yeah. Um, and, so after after kind of starting in, in food in a yeah. kind of random way... What did you want to do? What did you, after you got that door opened, where did you want to take food as a career? Who? My ideal hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm very happily employed and mm. I love writing all kinds of books. Yeah. But I'd love a column somewhere, a proper <laughs> weekly column that, you know. I've had this discussion many yes, times. Yes, I mean. You know, but, something regular you can get your teeth yeah. into. And, yeah. But in terms of where I want cooking to go, there's so many, or, or where I want my career as a food writer to sure. go, there's so many different things um, I want to do. There's so many different aspects mm. to it. Um, I'm really interested interested in just teaching. Sure. And getting people to try things. I mean, and, and this was a thing with my pressure cooker book, mm. my first book, was so many people were terrified of yeah. trying a pressure cooker and I converted so many people and I love that and I'm actually still quite proud of oh, that. Oh yeah, the amount of people that I saw um, tweeting you about the fact that they'd never, either they were nervous mm. of trying one or they just never wanted one. Mm. And then um, I read an interview with someone who had been converted uh, by your book and was talking about making a risotto in you know mm. five minutes with yeah. no stirring and uh, stock in no time and mm. you know all these things that actually taste almost better sometimes because the they flavors do taste better. better. Um, they, it's the temperature. I think yeah. Heston Blumenthal explained it and said that the um, May Mayard's Mayard's uh, reaction yeah. kicks in because. Um, it heats up to about 119, 120 degrees. Yeah. So you start, you know, and, and vegetables and things that are already have got those sugars in yeah, yeah, become yeah. sweeter, like carrots are much sweeter. Mm. If you boil some carrots and then you pressure cook some carrots, yeah. they are sweeter if you've cooked them in a pressure cooker. It's Sounds incredible. Good to me. The one um, thing that that um, disturbed me slightly was someone's description of the bones in something where the bones went soft. Oh, I think that might have been... <laughs> it was someone in the Telegraph, I think. It was B. Wilson, yeah, it was B, and yeah. she was talking about... <laughs> if the you, food sounded awesome. I think she did. That There's a recipe for Chinese that ribs. That was it, yeah, yeah Chinese ribs. And yeah. the, the, the normal way to do it is you braise... I mean, you can braise them overnight, but very, very slowly for seven hours. And actually, if you cook them that way slowly, the bones will 
soften and okay. crumble as well. So it's not, <laughs> it's not. But you know that can be a good thing too yeah, because totally. um, oily fish, for example. Yeah. I mean, I think pressure cooking was pretty much invented to <laughs> cook fish, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. and it softens those bones. So you know, like all the cans of sardines you yeah. buy, they're pressure cooked huh. in the tins, oh, and that softens the bones. So it's not too problem eating them. No. Oh, nice. So, so how did you go from um, the kind of work with the Guardian into developing recipes? Because you I mean you're one of the people that I know that works so much in kind of writing your own books, developing mm. recipes for other people. Um, did you get an opportunity? Was it something that got you started on that road? Um, I got myself an agent. Sure. And we were thinking about what I could write about. My long-term thing was I wanted to do a book on the Caribbean because I spent a long time there. We've talked about this before. And and I don't think it's ever going to happen. That's such a shame. The reason I don't think it's going to happen is because there's so much these days about cultural appropriation. And and it's particularly difficult with the Caribbean. Yeah. And I'm quite gutted about that Mm. really I I don't mind admitting that but what I do is try and weave my recipes into my other books (laughs) which is fine you know I don't think anyone it's it's a strange thing actually people would have an issue with me writing a book on Caribbean food but they wouldn't necessarily have an issue with me working recipes from every other cuisine into including the Caribbean in my citrus book it's bizarre but anyway it is a really weird um, topic and I I understand where the idea of cultural appropriation comes from and Mm. why it's a problem and I totally understand it Mm. but it is an interesting thing where a line has been drawn as to what counts as appropriation and what doesn't Um, but the thing I've always thought about Britain as a food culture is actually one of the things we've done with our food is appropriate is appropriate endlessly you know the joke that British food is terrible if you look at our food culture you know what people cooking at home People don't really cook just British food or Never. what you might class as British food anymore. You know, everyone's cooking uh, Italian, Thai, mm. you know. That's what we do. We look outwards. Yeah, we're and magpies. Yeah. We, we pick, we, we, we take this from that and this from that. We're great at fusion, yeah. I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, I personally understand it. Mm. But... What I would also say is that any book I wrote about that wouldn't be traditional, no. authentic Caribbean recipes. And you're not be claiming it would be that... the definitive book on... No, it'd be, you know, it's recipes inspired by all the incredible ingredients that mm. are from the Caribbean, a lot a lot of which we still can't get here, actually. But <laughs> yeah. never mind, maybe we will one day. But, no, so I um, thought about what I wanted a book to be and that's how Pressure Cooker came mm. about because I'd written about it in The Guardian. Yeah. And I do think they are wonderful things because they save you time, they save you money, they're green because, you know, you're not using so much yep. fuel. And I think the results are often much better. So I think it's win, 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 win. And I've never used one. Ah, uh, well, maybe you need to come <laughs> round to me. And you can convince me. Yeah, I bet you I would be very intrigued to give it a go, only because the only thing that puts me off slightly, and it's not really a thing to put me off, it's more of, um, I love nothing more than something cooking on the hob for a long time. Like, there's something very uh, therapeutic and relaxing to me. Like, uh, today, maybe, maybe tomorrow, I'm going to cook another batch of um, a beef cheek ragu that I Mm. utterly love, and it cooks for six hours. Yeah. 
but that is the sort of thing that would cook in no time yeah. and would probably, an be probably be even better so yeah I need to give it a go for sure definitely you don't have to it's not an all or nothing thing no. if you fancy stirring something on the stove for a while do it <laughs> yeah. you know people love stirring risotto but you know if you miss that you know make make bechamel instead because you can't really <laughs> yeah. do that in a pressure cooker no i imagine you know so there's lots of things but also use it as um an adjunct to whatever yeah. you're cooking so if you're doing a roast you can save so much time doing the vegetables or yeah. par par cooking the potatoes. Yeah. And then think about all the grains, you know, summer salads. Yeah. That's a good thing. Cooking things in the pressure cooker in the summer because it means the gas isn't on yeah. for as long. But that's the one thing that I would stays be cooler. All happy about. And then you can do big batches of yeah. whatever grain you like to add to salads or, you know, and nice. it's easy. Is so. there a dish that you uh, recommend people try to kind of convince them? of a pressure cooker is there like a go-to dish or the ribs we just talked about yeah. is a really good one actually yeah. i mean the idea of cooking chinese uh, ribs in no time mm. sounds great definitely but but also i mean there's two things if you're the sort of person that loves risotto i've it was only when writing that book i realized how scared a lot of people were yeah. of making risotto was because tv's told them it's difficult yeah well it's know. not no but if you're worried about it do it in the pressure cooker because it's foolproof yeah no, I have no. to say, I think, I am always fascinated by what people are afraid of cooking. Mm. And I find what they're afraid of cooking is what they've been told is really, really different yeah. from TV. It's the same with souffles. Um, Mayonnaise and hollandaise. Yeah. Somebody said, did I want to do an hollandaise recipe for a FaceTime thing to, on Thursday? And I said, well, you know, I've never had a problem with hollandaise, but because people think it's difficult, the mere fact I'm doing it live makes me scared to do it. So no, I'm going <laughs> to do something. In case it goes else. wrong, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. if it splits, you know. Yeah. I mean, I there is there is a way of know. saying of of obviously of how you can recover things. Yeah, of course. But um, yeah, you don't want it to go wrong on a live stream and make people even more. Yeah, afraid. they're not going to do it, are they? So the thing that's one of the things that interested me about your books, and obviously you've written three now. So mm. your most recent, which we'll talk about in a minute, is Citrus, and your second one was Chicken. Mm. They're all single issue books. Yes. Is that uh, something you wanted to do, or it's just happened that way? It's happened that way, but it is something I really mm. love doing because the topics, the, the the ingredients I've chosen are very broad. Mm. So I like giving myself parameters, which are still very broad. And the thing about chicken and the thing about citrus as well, and actually the thing about pressure cookers, (laughs) is that they cross pretty much every cuisine. There are very few cuisines that don't eat chicken or use citrus, even all the northern ones, because they've been importing them for centuries. So, you know, um, it's a way into lots of different cuisines and I really like that because it means that I'm experimenting and learning at the same time. Mm. I'm using different methods for different citrus, for example, um, just to figure out what works, what doesn't work. I think that was one of the things that I really liked about citrus. So I've had it for a couple of days and a, it's a beautiful book. Like I, I told you this earlier, yeah. it's a silly thing. I keep getting everyone who comes to the house to stroke I know, it I know. because it has a really almost velvety texture to it. We're now both stroking copies of the book. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but it is a really beautiful book. And one of the things I loved about it is the fact that it has so many different styles of cooking, mm. so many different regions of of, of food culture. Mm. Um, 
And it is a really mixed book. It isn't just, you know, it's not just a salad book. It's not just, mm. you know, there are so many different things in there. And I think it opens up a subject to show you how varied it can be. Um, and there are many, many things that I'm going to be cooking. Good. What was the, there was one that was, um, it was a chicken salad. I want to say it was with lime. You roast, I was reading it literally just before I got it here. You roast the, um, you cook the chicken breast until it's crisp. On the outside, you pour in some cream, some other things. There's some um, cauliflower in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, it's kind of quite Asian. It's got yes, coconut it and lime Asian. and lemongrass. That was it, yeah. It just, yes. the picture of it looks so damn tasty. Mm. And, and it's just... a really nice thrown together one, isn't yeah. it? Because there's nothing styled about it no, at no, all. No. It just but looks really... To me, it's the sort of dish that I think I'd make a big batch of it, mm. lots of friends around, yeah. and we'd all just dig in. It looks really inviting. I think a lot of the salads are for yeah. that, because I love that kind of um, entertaining, mm. just plonking lots of things on the table. Yeah, and, definitely. You know... With citrus, how did you go about writing it? Because obviously citrus has a season. Yes. I mean, obviously, we all Which know we can get... a lot of people get... don't understand, by the way. No, but I think that's because a lot of people only know citrus as lemon, lime and grapefruit. Things yeah. that we can get all year round. You know, not necessarily good all year mm. round, but they're imported all yeah. year round. Whereas things like bergamot, you know, they appear partway through the year. Blood oranges, they're only here for a couple yeah. of months. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people don't realise that citrus is such a seasonal thing. Mm. So I'm intrigued how you wrote a book that is so seasonally focused... Did you have to kind of write, these are my three months, this is the three months I get to write it? It was always at the back of my mind, actually, mm. but because obviously I was I was writing it throughout the year when yeah. things came into season. So, um, and it's a book I've wanted to do for a long time, so obviously, you know... Recipes were already... Yeah, recipes yeah. were already in my head. Um, I did want it to feel seasonal, although it's not yeah. arranged seasonally. No, I definitely because, think it does. It has different shades. Oh, that's good. Of, I'm glad yeah, that yeah, comes yeah. across. Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, you probably know this from your own stuff, but I probably have about three times the number of recipes that make the final <laughs> yeah. book. And yeah. and when it comes down to the final selection, it is about get, trying to get the balance yeah, right. And, and I just, I don't know. I read and read and read. I explore. Yeah. Um, and then... Often what happens is I'm in the mood to do some cooking and I open the fridge and I open the cupboard yeah. and I think, okay, what can I put with these? And some of my f- most successful mm. dishes that I think are the most successful anyway come out of that kind of thing. Mm. Just putting a load of things on the on the um, work surface and thinking, what's going to work? Yeah. And it doesn't always work, but when Worth it trying. does, it's... and Yeah. And so, and and one of the things that I had to think about a lot when I was doing this is how easy some citrus are yeah. to get. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't going to flood the book with citrus we can't get here yeah. easily. There are quite a few yuzu recipes. But yuzu's become ridiculously, not the actual fruit itself, yeah. but yuzu juice, yuzu powder yes. has become, you know, almost, you know, this ofe thing these days yes. that is much more easy waitros sell jars yeah. of you know use your juice these days they do um it's still hard to get them fresh mm. i mean i've been you know 
known to drive to New Spitalfields Market, but, you know, pre-dawn to get them. And I think I read in the um, the thank yous at the end that people were sending you citrus yeah, from different places. they did. Santhi Clay brought some back from Japan for me. Can you believe it? She also sent me some kaffir lime. She also sent me some finger limes. Which are so expensive. Incredibly expensive, but so nice. I yeah. mean... They're, you know, you can't really do much more with them than use them no. as a garnish yeah, pretty yeah. much. But they're lovely to sprinkle over salads and in yeah. drinks and all sorts. Um, but no, thinking about the availability of citrus made me think about um, substituting a lot. Mm, yeah. And that's some of my favourite things came out of that. So, oh, so for example, we can buy yuzu kashaw. Kashaw, kashaw. I'm, I'm rubbish at pronunciation. We were saying this earlier. I think it's kashaw, kashaw, okay. or kashaw. Anyway, it what it is is um, yuzu zest, a certain percentage of yuzu zest, a certain percent of chilies, finely chopped and mixed with salt. And what you do is you put it in the fridge and let it ferment for a week, and then it's just the the depth of flavor the subtlety of flavor is incredible it is it's wonderful they're using it to kind of rub on meat yeah and but obviously i know that not everyone's going to be able to run off and get yuzu so i made up some other combinations and this time of year my absolute favorite is a mixture of the really good mandarins we were talking about earlier a bit of lemon and chili Oh, that sounds it's delicious. Wonder- it lightens things up and gives you that really salty sourness at the same time. Yeah. It's just this time of year when... I, it's a funny time of year <laughs> because I'm not ready to abandon comfort food in January and February never at all. Me neither. I, I never understand this thing in January when <laughs> everyone's suddenly on smoothies and juices and... And raw. Oh, what is wrong with them? Honestly, to, I just I've had got to make oh. a rule that I won't talk about clean eating on the podcast yeah. anymore because I hate okay. it so much. Well, well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> but what I find is that you still want all that comfort food. Yeah, totally. You want your rich casseroles and you want the carbs and you want the desserts and everything else. And I'm, you know, big into all of those. But you kind of start in, to get into this time of year and your palate does need freshening up yeah. a bit. So if you're using all of these citruses in those same kind of comfort food, yeah. you're getting the best of both worlds and then it kind of leads you into spring and summer and all the fresher, lighter stuff. So, no, definitely. I think there was a recipe that stood out to me. Uh, I'm going to forget exactly what it was. It was something um, traditionally like a slow-cooked meat or something. And um, you had used lime to kind of just give it lift. Was it short ribs? Yeah, it might have been the short ribs. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a beef short ribs. I think it recipe. was. I think there's a. <laughs> yeah, there is a beef short ribs recipe. But that... no, I definitely. I mean, I I often do like um, a pork shoulder, and I use lots mm. of orange. A, I like quite like the bitterness that the orange peel can give to it, but also it just gives it a little bit less you know, fattiness. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, using lime and also beef short ribs with that kind of slightly, yeah. uh, that flavour will be delicious. Yeah, because we're used to doing the, them the American way, often yeah. with bourbon or in a classic yeah, 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 Italian yeah. tomato sauce or whatever. Mm. So this is kind of, again, it's Asian. I was say, it's definitely kind of got yeah. notes of Thai. It's lime and lemongrass and, nice. you know, all of those. Another one to add to my list. But, um, 
yeah and and sticking with that kind of yuzu kosho thing i mean that that was again one of my favorite mm. combinations was purely because of what i'd got in the fridge was the, this one aubergines with mozzarella and nice. yuzu kosho yeah but, that sounds great um and it's got um i think i put mandarin in it yeah mandarin yuzu lemon that I love great. combining citrus. Yeah. I love using them. And, and it's funny, some things work better than others. So you can try, for example, every, you probably know this, every kind of um, Sephardic orange cake yeah. with different, some things work really well. Or yeah, yeah. if you do a classic lemon cake and you try to do it with lots of other, yeah, yeah. sometimes the flavours really sing quite, out and yeah. sometimes they're just... It could be any citrus. You can't quite grasp what it is. Yeah, sometimes other things. I think fat sometimes dulls certain flavours. But sometimes it brings it to life. And yeah. I, and, and I think um, one of my favourite discoveries was wondering, discovering how good um, grapefruit. Yeah. Grapefruit. Grapefruit full just yeah. with cream and a bit of dessert wine. A nutty one. If, oh. I think grapefruit zest in baking mm. is very underused it's yeah. so delicious and again like with bergamot it just adds something more yeah. than kind of you know your basic lemon and lime it adds a little bit yeah. more interest to it and sings when you it use it really does way. and it's it's funny because we're always talking about how transformative citrus is yeah. and it is incredible i mean the things that you add lemon to and it transforms yeah. them you know it adds depth and brings all the flavors together and everything mm. but Cream butter and sugar do something to some citrus. <laughs> they really do. Yeah. I mean, it's. Well, I was telling you earlier about um, a cake that's just gone on my website, which is a bergamot um, mm. cake, and it's a very simple. It's like a cross between a drizzle and a um, like polenta cake. It's not yeah. wet like a polenta cake, and it's not kind of soaked like a mm. drizzle cake. But the bergamot just sings mm. in it. It's so incredible in it more than I expected it to be and it carries its flavour more than I expected it didn't mute in the cake at mm. all um, and I think you're right I think some things just work in a much better ways than you mm. expected to and um, I mean, for me I will always be a big citrus fan because um, you know it's something that just brings a lot of things to life I remember I was um, working on my second book uh, I don't know three four years ago and we were having a conversation during lunch one day and it was um, Anna Jones was working on, okay. on the styling of my book and uh, the photographer. And we were talking about how someone should write a really beautiful citrus book because there's such a space for it. And it is one of those things mm. that has so much breadth and so much usage in it. And I think you've done an amazing job Thank kind you. of turning that into, into a really beautiful book. It's um, always hard to know because, you know, getting the balance right. Yeah. Do I put in this? Do I put in that? Do you put it in every classic or do you twist every classic or <laughs> yeah, do you just yeah. come up with, you know, I think this has gone more towards original recipes Definitely. for me, which I really, I'm really happy about. I think if I'd have opened the book and it was, you know, all those classic like Duck à l'Orange and, you know, mm. which is in cake, there. Sure. But, but if it was know, all those kind of styles of recipe, I think, why would you bother picking it up? Yeah. This, I think, shows you so many interesting ways of using citrus and using it in a different way mm. um, and I do think it is I think it is a really successful beautiful book so Thanks. I can't wait to get cooking from it because there's some really delicious things in it when is the book actually out maybe out when this comes out I can't Thursday remember. the 9th oh so this the, so by the time the podcast comes out the book will have just um, 
come out. I think it'll come out the week after. Brilliant. Um, so go and have a look at it. It's a really uh, beautiful, beautiful book. Um, I think it's my favourite of your three books so far. Um, and I'm excited to see what you do next. Um, very briefly, just because I think it's a fascinating topic, um, you do a little bit, or you do a lot of, ghostwriting. Mm. And I'm... I'm one of those people where I've done... I haven't ever ghostwritten a book. I've ghostwritten other people's recipes. Mm. Um, but I'm fascinated by the process. And I think people who aren't in food and aren't in food writing would be really intrigued to know kind of a little bit about that kind of how that works. I know we can't talk about people because, you know, um, some people don't like you talking about that, I'm sure. Quite rightly um, too, I think, you know. <laughs> But how do you um, find the process? Is it different to writing your own books? Very. In, in what way? Okay, so... Oh, where do I start with this? <laughs> it's so different. Mm. In a way, it's it's a relief sometimes, yeah. actually, to be writing, on, writing or working on something. Because I do a lot of testing mm. um, and writing up of recipes and yeah. whatever. Um, in fact, you can do... You can, there's ghost writers that will write the whole book yeah. and there's um, ghost writers or there's people who will just test recipes yeah. and there's every kind of permutation in between sure. and I've probably covered most of them at some <laughs> stage. Um, but um, what I like about it is that often you're writing your own books and you go off and you write your book mm. and there's probably going to be a bit of input here and there from your editor um, when you get in touch with them. Yeah. But you are, it's, it's, it's a solitary thing. It's very the solitary. Yeah. Um, the buck stops with you. Yeah. Um, most of the creative decisions are yours. And it can be quite scary. Yeah, definitely. And it's the sort of thing that has me awake at three o'clock <laughs> in the morning, especially if I've got an introduction to write. Yeah. I will be there at three o'clock in the morning writing it in my head again and again and again. And then I'll get up and try and get it down onto the computer. And of course, the words just evaporate before me. I and, That's when my best intros are written at three in the morning and... I can't mm. get out of bed and write them because they will be bad by the time. Yeah. So I write them on my phone. I literally oh, grab my phone idea. and I start writing them. They're not always exactly what's in mm. my head, but um, I have the exact same thing. Yeah. Where I, and it's weird. It's always the introductions. It's it is, always isn't the, it? the more interesting part of it. Yeah. So there's that. Then you are working on other people's books, and suddenly you're surrounded by people. Mm. So. You might have creative input, you might not. You're usually working with a project editor and sure. whoever it is you're writing the book for. And there's a big team involved. And there's certain people um, that, you know, I have a project editor that I work with a lot who I talk to pretty much every day. And she is, she is my she's my chat by the water cooler at the moment. We'll, <laughs> yeah, you know, which you don't normally have a no, sort of food writer working at we'll, home. We'll both start ranting about politics <laughs> or, you know, because nice. we see, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really good. So is it just so, mainly the difference between collaboration and working? Yeah. yeah. But also there's more structure to it. Yeah. 
when I'm writing my own books, I need a lot of leading time to think, and yeah. I will think and think and think, and I'll have a, go into a frenzy of testing on a particular thing and yeah. something, and then it'll halt me in my tracks because something doesn't work the way I want it to, yeah. and it will halt me, and that will be it, and I'll have to go off and do something else, and yeah. then I'll come back to it, and it's very bitty, and the whole thing is very organic, yeah. um, and yeah. When I'm working on other people's books, it's more structured. Yeah. There's a start and a finish, and you know what the in-between bit is. <laughs> it's not good. I mean, not always. There's always sure. a bit of room for manoeuvre, but mm. it's not going... I'm, I'm actually drawing a really twisty, long <laughs> path through something at the moment. So, yeah. Nice. Um, I mean, I'm always fascinated because, I mean, from my knowledge of it, um, I suppose there are... There are chefs that are just not very good writers. Mm. And why chefs... would you expect them to be? Exactly. Really, because, exactly. you know, some of our best chefs uh, started yeah. at, you know, 14, 16 in a kitchen. Yeah. Well, someone um, I read an interview with, um, uh, um, Marco Pierre White's mm-hmm. ghostwriter, who said, you know, Marco could barely write a sentence. Mm. A but lot he'd of been them in the kitchens. Yeah. Marco had been in kitchens since he was, you know, a teenager and, you know, didn't have mm. a full education. So, why would you expect him to be an amazing writer? So no. I, I'm always fascinated by the range of ghostwriting mm-hmm. because to me it's been interesting to see that that style of ghostwriting people see as acceptable. Yes. And, you know, but then there's that kind of slightly murky thing where you know some people are not very clear about if their books have been ghostwritten. And I, I just think it's fascinating that there are these people working in the background who kind of don't get praise necessarily or... Mm aren't given the credit and then are publicly said, oh no, I wrote the book, you know, which happened with, um, oh... Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. She's now changed her tune on it and yes. she now has told everyone who a ghostwriter is. But her first book, she definitely said, no, I, I wrote it. And I don't think anyone actually believed it. No. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just fascinated by this, this and there whole are, I mean, there are, styles. There are certain people out there who've had no connection with food at all and have suddenly produced a cookery book and they're not (laughs) honest about it. I mean, I can actually say that I worked on um, the recipes for Davina McCall's first two books and she was completely upfront about it. She said, I'm not a cook. I want to cook in this particular style and I need someone to help me and Catherine helped me. And, you know, she's very honest about it. So, you know... I just, it's, it's an interesting thing and I think that to me that's the healthy way of doing it because mm. I don't think there's any shame in saying your book has been ghostwritten if there's kind of that reason for it I sometimes the thing I, I've always found difficult is when someone and it's not always the case but I've definitely seen books where someone's had zero input at all mm. and their name's just slapped on it mm. and then they go around talking about how you know how they're inspired to write this book Fortunately, I, I haven't had to do any good. of those. Good, I And mean, that must be much harder to work on, mm. I would imagine, just because you know it's going to disappear and not be I credited. Think, I think, in a way, you have to be pragmatic about mm. it. We've all got bills to pay. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you're paid a fee for a book and it's a good fee, sure. then the fact that you might not get the royalties, you yeah, know, yeah, you're, yeah. you are compensated in sure. another way. Yeah. Um, and some ghostwriters do get a cut of yeah. royalties on occasion. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, the ones that have been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's, it is a tricky one. 
if you're writing a book for someone who's got zero input, it can make it much easier. Yeah, because you're you working, get creative freedom. Yeah, yeah, you're working with it, but then you, yeah, and it's, you know, it's still their book. Yeah. So it might not keep you awake at night in the same way as your own book. Yeah. And you're working closely with a couple of editors who've got a very clear plan about mm. what they want the book to be. Yeah. So you've got your parameters. And, you know, you've, you're working on a recipe list that goes back and forth a few times. It gets um, approved and then you work your way through the recipe yeah. list. So it's quite... It's just a different know, style of working, I guess. It is. Um, but the best ones are the proper collaborations, yeah. definitely. I mean, to me, I think that would make a better book. Mm. If it's a collaborative affair between, you know, the writer and the person whose name's on the book, yeah. then obviously that person has input and has an effect on the recipes, even if they're not writing them per se. Mm. And I think you end up with something that relates to the person even a little bit. I think mm. that's more interesting. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I've always found it an interesting thing and I thought people might find it an interesting topic to kind of touch on a little bit. Um, to take it to our slightly less serious, less heavy <laughs> subject, we're going to take it to our second section which is um i was gonna say stir the pot but that's the name of the podcast <laughs> to our shopping list um and it's just a quick fire round just a few questions for you to choose from and you can um choose something else entirely if you don't agree with my choices or you don't have to choose if it's too difficult or you know it's just meant to be a silly little bit of fun mm. um so first one is fine dining or street food Fine dining, I'm afraid. Really? See, I didn't think that's what you were going to say. No, because actually, bistro food. Okay. <laughs> right down the middle. Yes, right down the middle. Um, I'm not that into street food in terms of the messy. I love street food. I love the actual food, but yeah. I'm not the one who likes kind sure, of, sure, sure. you know, juggling everything. Fair enough. I think. It's partly because I've got kids and, you know, yeah. there's always a mess and you're always sticky and you're just, oh. So where would you choose to do that? <laughs> exactly. I like picnics. Because <laughs> they're in my control. No, I am a bit of a control. But fine dining okay. has its place. You see, I always think it has its place. It's just often I have to be in such a specific yeah. mood to want to go and have that whole rigmarole. It I can find sometimes yeah. too intense. It can be a conceit, mm, yeah. um, but it's a good way to learn about new things. Yeah. I like small courses, and I'm I, I'm afraid I am one of the people who like small plates. Oh, I like small plates. I'm happy. I like small mm. plates for sharing reasons. Yes. I like it for the same reason you said for trying different things. I hate you know. being at a table and someone not letting me try their food. I don't get insane. those people. I don't get it. Why would you not share? What's no. the point? You know, the American a... style of going to a Chinese restaurant and ordering one dish for you. <laughs> Don't get it. But no. yeah, so I like I like relaxed food more than anything. So yes, yeah. I am slapped down the middle on that one. I'm no, afraid. that's fun. I went to um, Tandor Chop House in Covent Garden mm. uh, a couple of days ago, and there was three of us, and we just ordered a ton of stuff and just all tried all of it. And you know, it's a it's mm. just a more fun way of eating as it well. It is. So. I would say I would I would happily say bistro food is is, is good. Um, red or white wine? White. Okay. Not out of preference, but red wine makes me ache. Oh really? Yeah, I don't know what it is. See, white wine gives me headaches. No, um, 
goes better know. with citrus too, does white wine. Mm? <laughs> white wine goes better with citrus it too. It does. And actually, <laughs> I need to talk to someone like Fiona Beckett about pairings because yeah. that's something I haven't done enough about. Yeah, I think you could um, actually do some really nice pairings with a lot of yeah. dishes in there because they have citrusy flavours, but then also lots of other things mm. that could go really nicely with lots of different uh, wines. Um, Caribbean or the UK? For food. Food for living. Take it how you want. <laughs> Caribbean, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, that's fair. For enough. food and living. How much Caribbean do you, cooking do you do kind of like day to day? Is it still something that you cook a lot of? It kind of works its way in. Yeah. There's kind of standards that I do. Yeah. Um, and this time of year, I am hoarding Seville oranges like crazy <laughs> because sour oranges make the best rum punch. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, I might need to get that recipe. Yeah, it's in here, I think. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, um, lemon or lime? The oh, eternal now. tough one. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Do you know? I know what I would choose. I know what I would choose, but it's articulating it because, <laughs> bizarrely, even though I love the Caribbean so much and I love the food of the Caribbean and I love... Lemons are just more useful. See, I was going to say uh, lime, just because I like the flavour a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I can't imagine not having that lemon there. Fair enough. It's weird. If it was key limes, <laughs> seriously, which we can rarely which get. Which I've, I've never, never had one. I've, I've never, never seen one. I have, but not here. I've never managed. I mean, the proper Caribbean limes yeah, yeah. are key limes too. Oh, okay. They are, you know, the small, the very small, yellow, yeah. really juicy, the incredible scent Less and Less sharp, right? Slightly sweeter? More floral. More floral. Just oh, kind interesting. Of, okay. Just more complex, generally. I had something the other day that I'd never seen before. Um, well, there was two things. I couldn't buy one of them annoyingly. So there was tiger limes, mm. which started appearing in my green ghost, which are kind of like zebra yeah. looking on the outside. There's lemon ones as well. Well, the one, yeah, I think the ones I had was something similar. They were called pink uh, Pink lemons, lemons yeah. Um, I really loved their flavour. Mm. Um, and I'm fascinated by these different varieties that have suddenly, like, I've never seen those in the UK before. They're new. And then suddenly they seem to have appeared everywhere. I'm hoping we'll start getting key limes and um, mayo lemons as well would be good. See, mayo lemons, I actually, did, I brought back from San Francisco. Mm. I'm like, I've, I've never had a mayo lemon and I really liked them. Mm. I really liked the flavour and it would be nice to have variety. I also don't think many people necessarily know there's varieties of lemons. You know, no, I don't I think know. it's common knowledge. Because most of the supermarket ones are Eureka, which yeah. are a fine workhorse one. They'll, the squeeze of lemon will do its job. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't want to zest them particularly no. or, you know. Um, lime quats. Okay. I'm not that keen on kumquats, okay. bizarrely. But lime quats are, I yeah. I've tried. I think I've, I've had, I mean, obviously I've had kumquats, but I don't think I've had lime quats. Um, I've seen candied ones before, mm. which I like the idea of, but I've definitely never... Um... There's a recipe in here, mm. a couple of recipes in here. Um, Sussex pond pudding, which is usually yeah. a whole fruit cooked in a yeah, big... Yeah. I did little individual ones oh, using nice. lime quats or kumquats. Okay. They're fun. Yeah, that sounds nice. It's a good way to use them. Um, harking back to your books, citrus or chicken? Oh... <gasps> Citrus. See, what I thought you were going to say is a citrusy chicken. Yeah, well, citrusy chicken <laughs> is, of course, yeah, a yeah. citrus-infused roast chicken. You don't get much better than no, that. Definitely. Wasn't there a bergamot roast chicken? 
Yes. Yeah, which, which again, you can use lemon for as well. But nice. um, and then uh, as a final one, go back to our last question: uh, ghostwriting or your own books? Oh, my own books, yeah. of course. I mean, I knew yes. you were going to say that. They're much harder. Yeah, but you get more pleasure from it. Yes, this. of yeah. course. Um, so our final, final section, as always, is the uh, recycling bin. So is there an ingredient, a trend, something in food that you cannot stand and just want to get rid of? And then yes. you have to try and convince me to do it. Okay. Also, you have told me already that you don't think you'll be able to convince me. So well, I'm do you know what? I've actually changed my mind. Oh, okay. okay. So I'll I tell you what it was. Okay. It was porridge. Oh, no, you could probably have convinced me. Like, I don't mind porridge, but I never eat it. Uh, for breakfast regularly. I have a horror. Oh, in, really? In so many different ways. Um, yes. Um, maybe I won't get started. Maybe we should do porridge after all. <laughs> I'm well, hedging it, my bets now. Interesting. My uh, The only thing that would make me not get rid of it, probably, is its connection to my grandfather. Okay. Because he had it every day. Um, but I've, I've never... Like, there are certain things I've done with porridge that I really like, but actual plain porridge is not really for I me. can't eat it my gag no. reflex kicks in immediately I cook it for everyone else okay. and actually I wouldn't get rid of it for that reason sure. because my kids eat it sure. and so this so is, is much so choice? this is much more specific mm-hmm. growing up I absolutely loathed and detested mixed chopped peel from the supermarket that my mother used to put in in all her cakes and her puddings and her hot crust buns and I was one of those children that picked every last little bit out what was it you didn't like the taste it was just revolting and I always thought that citrus peel candied citrus peel was revolting until (laughs) I realized I started making my own cakes and puddings as you do at a certain age um, and thought, I have to put it in. I have to. I think the first year I didn't put it in, yeah. and you could tell it wasn't there, even though I put in orange and lemon zest. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, I didn't understand that you could buy nice ones, nice ones, really, really big pieces of yeah. orange or lemon or citron or lime that you could chop up finely yeah. and use yourself, and it's completely different. Yeah. So I would ban <laughs> the ready dry, chopped. Yeah vile stuff because does anyone really like it honestly i don't hate it um but i I completely agree that there is different versions Mm. and i think in the last couple of years i can't remember what brand it is but there is one brand available in supermarkets that is definitely better Mm. than other ones it's still not you know the kind of buying the Mm. individual ones and chopping them yourselves um but I think you're kind of right in that most people don't really like them to put them in because it's a traditional thing yeah. you put in your Christmas cake or your hot cross And it does give the dish depth. Yeah, it doesn't give it depth. It's but... just that when you get a big chunk of it yeah. and it's the really nasty stuff rather than the good stuff, it just ruins it. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think I'm tempted to agree with you, um, mainly because I would not miss it at all. Mm. If you took it out of a cake, I wouldn't miss it. Um, give me really nice candied fruit. Mm. I love it. Like I make mm. my own candied peel all the time. Yeah, and I, I do in zest as well. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so tasty. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would agree that the stuff from the supermarket just doesn't compete. Mm. And it's not very good. So I'm going to agree. We put it in the recycling bin. Brilliant. And it's banished forever. Thank you, Ed. Um, so thank you again for joining me. Your book is out now. Uh, it is Citrus. Uh, available from all good retailers. 
Um, I hope it does really well. It's Thanks. beautiful. And um, yeah, thank you for taking some time out Pleasure. from it's been your fun. deadline week. No, it's been great. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ed.